Hello and welcome to Cardiff University's Politics Society's Meet Your Lecturers podcast. It's our first instalment and today I am joined by Dr Rachel Minto who is a lecturer in politics at Cardiff University with research interests in the impact of Brexit on a post-devolution UK. Hi Rachel, thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. delighted to be here Morgan, thanks for the invitation. No worries at all. Of course it's our first instalment so uh, even more exciting. Um, so to begin, if you don't mind, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and, and how did you get to Cardiff? OK, well, um, I was brought up in a lovely little village in southwest Norfolk, um, really in the middle of nowhere, Norfolk. And then gradually over the course of my kind of or the course of education, I've just moved further westwards. Um, so when I finished my A-levels, I went to the University of Birmingham. Um, that's my uh, my graduate degree, my first master's. Um, and then after that, I moved further over west over to Bristol. And that's where I did a, another master's and a PhD. And then um, I started working at Cardiff University. So it's very much kind of education and university that's brought me from Norfolk over to Cardiff. And yeah, so to tell us a little bit about your, your undergraduate degree, what was that in? So I did a BSc in physics at the University of Birmingham, which was a wonderful period of time. I actually spent one year um, in Paris. It was a, there was an Erasmus year in Paris, um, although it was a, a straight, uh, straight physics degree. So after my year in Paris, I came back and finished off my, uh, my third year in physics. Physics to politics. How did that uh, come about? Well, I think physics seemed like a natural choice for me after my A-levels. I did maths, physics and French um, in sixth form. And and physics was a really fun degree if you're into problem solving and the the satisfaction that comes from uh, from solving an equation. So I really did enjoy my physics degree, although as you will all know as students, it's not necessarily an easy ride as a student. It It was still heavy going. But it was particularly during my year in Paris and then when I came back to uh, Birmingham after my Erasmus year, I'd just become increasingly interested in politics. So I was going and attending various lectures and seminars and events. And so when when I got to the end of my physics degree, I thought this is a a really ideal opportunity for me to formalise my interest in politics in a master's degree. So I was very lucky that there happened to be a European Studies Masters hosted in the European Research Institute at the University of Birmingham. So I did some some exploration, some investigation, and uh, managed to get myself onto that master's course, which was a really wonderful step for me because it was a, a brilliant opportunity to really sit in seminars where I just wanted to, well, soak up all the information and was really engaged in a way um, that I hadn't quite been, if you like, satisfied or inspired in the same way with uh, my first degree. Uh, it's certainly interesting to you move, as we've said, from such sort of polar opposites in a way. Um, but, but on on the topic of, of European politics, I guess the events that are happening at the moment, Brexit in particular, as I've already mentioned, is, is one of your research areas that's really opened up even more opportunities for you, I guess, here at Cardiff. It has. 
It's it's interesting because prior to Brexit or prior to really David Cameron announcing that he was going to hold a, a referendum on um, the UK's membership of the European Union, it was very difficult to get anybody really interested in the EU. Uh, nobody was particularly bothered about hearing about the ins and outs of European decision making. Of course, there were narratives in the in the media, but there wasn't much call for academics who knew about the European Union to do too much decoding, if you like. So uh, when the referendum was announced, it meant that there was a, a new interest in those academics who had an understanding of the European Union. So that was quite interesting to see. So the knowledge that we have and the analytical skills that we've developed were of in demand in a way that they hadn't been previously. But I think something that I found most striking is that you know, when I started working at Cardiff University, and that's after I'd done my uh, PhD at Bristol, and that was about European politics and governance, I had imagined that I would be pursuing a career researching and teaching in the area of European politics. And then when the referendum took place, it was really obviously momentous in many different ways. But Personally, and I think professionally for people who work in the area of European politics, it really, well, for me, I will speak for myself, I had to reassess my relationship with my subject. Because obviously, if you're engaging in European politics as somebody who is uh, working within and from a member state of the European Union, it just Qualitatively, it, it feels different if you're going to be studying that more from the outside or from one stage removed. So I was really lucky to have the opportunity to, following the, uh, the referendum, to start working uh, at the Wales Governance Centre at Cardiff University on a, a research post that was looking specifically at Brexit and UK devolved politics because there I was able to draw on my background in European politics and governance and apply that to questions around the UK's withdrawal from, uh, from the European Union. So in that sense, the, the soul searching, if you like, uh, with respect to what direction do I take my academic research, was uh, there was a, an answer to that soul searching by way of this you know, really exciting research opportunity that I was given. And I guess going back a little bit to your PhD at Bristol at the time, did you foresee something like Brexit or, or a country exiting the EU as, as being an inevitable event or did you expect ever expect that to happen? No, I hadn't expected that to happen. Um, of course, there were discussions about uh, the potential breakup of the European Union, particularly at times um, when there was the heightened heightened times of the, the Eurozone crisis. But I hadn't foreseen, I don't think many people had foreseen the UK's withdrawal from, uh, from the European Union. I had been aware of, as many of us are, the UK's position within the European Union. Actually, during my PhD, I spent a bit of time over in Brussels at the uh, European Women's Lobby's um, Secretariat, which is 
uh, based in the centre of Brussels. So the European Women's Lobby, they are the women's um, organisation based over in Brussels, having the opportunity to spend that period of time actually working in the European Women's Lobby was incredibly helpful for my research, but was also really useful to give me a better sense of, um, as I say, the position of the U- the UK within the European Union. And, and actually, you touched on there some of your research interests coming from from women's rights, notably within the EU, but elsewhere as well. And, and that's something we'll, we'll come on to in, in a moment. You know, Brexit presents a challenge for for everyone. You know, the UK and and the EU. For you, looking back at your whole educational journey, you know, what for you was was most challenging? Most challenging. Mm. Wow. Well, I suppose at different periods of time, challenges presented themselves. Um, obviously, I think your one's undergraduate degree, there were challenges attached to that. That was very exciting challenges, but challenges nonetheless. I think that move over from uh, physics into politics, um, again, there were challenges there just adapting to a new way of working. The fact that we had to write essays and as a policy, as a physics student, we wrote one 2000 word essay a year. Um, and that was in some cases that was like pulling teeth. So moving to a subject where that is what you do is you, you write essays. So that was again, an exciting challenge to, to get my, to get my head around that. Of course, you know, all, all challenges that I'm sure people that are, are listening can can relate to as well, especially if, if changing disciplines or, or having come up against something new. I, I said before about your work with the women's lobby and, and women's rights, and, and you're now, as I said at the start, the chair of Cardiff Women's Aid. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that and what that entails for you. So I'm chair of the board of trustees. So essentially the role of the board is to scrutinize the, uh, the operation of the charity um, and also to be involved in helping develop the strategic direction of the charity. So Cardiff Women's Aid, um, we have got a number of refuges throughout Cardiff. We've got um, helplines for women to call for advice related to uh, gender-based violence and abuse. So relating perhaps to uh, their financial situation, seeking legal advice, um, seeking uh, counselling support. So we run a range of different services, all all based in Cardiff. Our role really uh, is to be critical, a critical friend to to the organisation. Um, but really, I stand in awe of the work that Cardiff Women's Aid undertakes, and particularly looking at the way in which they had to uh, translate their services in the context of uh, COVID-19. And just watching the ways in which the members of staff and volunteers did really an incredible job of ensuring that those services could continue running through uh, and ongoing now throughout the coronavirus crisis was really quite something. So for me, it's a real honor to be a part of a part of the board um, and a, a real opportunity to learn some more about the, the fantastic work of, of organizations like this. And, and although, as you say, not 
directly involved with those women and children who use the service. Do you think being so close to, you know, difficult scenarios and situations, do you think that has informed or will inform your research? Absolutely. And I think that's a really nice question. On a number of occasions, I did visit visit the refuges and I met some uh, women and children And just, as I say, getting to know the organization more, what was very striking was I I was being introduced to a part of the city that I don't usually see. Mm -hmm. So because I don't see um, I don't see violence and abuse and control um, in my everyday life, it's very easy to forget it's there or to think about it you know, as one or two stages removed. So even though I've always had throughout, well, throughout all of my research, throughout, I hope, the way that I live my life, I have rights and equality in, embedded in, in what I do. To come close to that, um, I think, is, has, was a really valuable, a really valuable uh, lesson for me. Good, really, really insightful. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, as you say, not something, thankfully, that that most of us have to come across. But unfortunately, a lot of us will. You mentioned how the team is adapting to to working from home as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, and it's something that we've all had to do this year. How are you finding that? I do feel very lucky. So. I like where I live. I'm very happy at home. I've got a nice little setup where I can work comfortably and get on with things. I really have missed going into the university. I've really missed my colleagues and just rubbing shoulders with them. Um, but overall, I must say that I've been very, I've been very lucky. I'd rather we weren't in this situation. And now, when we got to kind of part the way through the summer, I was just desperate to get anywhere away from Cardiff, away from away from this flat, away. Um, but overall, I think, as I say, I've I've been lucky in being able to adapt to working from home. But not to say this would be my preference. No, and I think um, I think most people listening would agree with you that we've all had a time during this pandemic where we've sort of thought, "I wish it would just be over. I wish I could just be elsewhere." So I'm sure a lot of people will find that very relatable. Absolutely, enough. Yes, one hundred percent. And um, I think in response, a lot of us have developed uh, perhaps little coping mechanisms, if you want to call them that. Whether it's a you know a quick walk at lunchtime or you know having a supply of biscuits on hand ready to go. Is there anything that you've dangerous, found? Dangerous. That's very dangerous. Uh, very dangerous indeed. Is there anything that you've done yourself or, or or done to to keep you going? Whether it's reading a book or something. I think it's been really important to have some time away from the computer because it's incredible how our lives are just lived through this rectangular screen that we spent our our whole days staring at. Um, So I do really try hard to close the computer, shove it in a cupboard for, you know, chunks of time, even if it's only just a few hours. Um, Otherwise, I think it's quite interesting in kind of really the depths of lockdown when we were allowed out the house to exercise once a day, mm. that started to become a real treat. So it was, you know, the the highlight of the day when you could get your trainers on and go and 
you know, jog around the park for half an hour or, or whatever it might be. And that has been really, really important. And something I'm guilty of too, as you say, it's so easy to, you know, just just lift the lid and, and check that email or reply to this. And, and sometimes I think you're right, we need to switch off. There was, a, I think it was a, a quote perhaps from the Canadian government that I saw uh, this week about how we're not working from home. You are at home working during a pandemic. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think when you can start thinking like that, you realize how important it is to set yourself limits. So this is why I say, you know, shut the laptop, shove it in a cupboard. So going back into to politics, um, as, as we sort of head towards the end, there's a really busy year coming up. What are you most looking forward to about the next year in politics? Well, I think it's going to be absolutely crucial to see what kind of deal is reached, if a deal is reached, between the UK and the European Union. So as you know, the UK will leave the transition period at uh, 11 p.m. on the 31st of um, December. So yes, it will be crucial to see what kind of relationship, uh, what kind of deal is reached between the UK and the European Union. Of course. And as you say, the implications of said Brexit, I think the UK itself finds itself in perhaps the most precarious situation, balancing the after effects of COVID-19, which could go on longer, and the after effects of leaving the EU as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. A fun question, I guess, to finish before I hit you with some quick fire questions to uh, to end the podcast. I'm sure in your time, your your, your academic and, and political career, you've met some interesting figures, I would hope. Who's the most interesting? Now, this is a really difficult question. Um, and I really like this question and it really got me thinking. So I've whittled it down to two, if I may. The first was um, Sir Julian King, um, who was the UK's commissioner to the at the European Commission. And Sir Julian King was the UK's final commissioner. Um, and he actually came over to Wales. I, think he, I believe he was meeting with the Welsh government. Um, and we were lucky enough to host him for an event at the Wales Governance Centre where he was talking about uh, the EU's security union because he was uh, the commissioner for security. And that was a really interesting moment. And I was really pleased that he agreed to speak to us um, uh, to all. It was a, a public event about EU security union, just because I thought that's that's something I think quite historic uh, to be able to have to have met the UK's final commissioner. Um, my person number two um, is actually a little closer to home, uh, Jane Hutt, who is a member of the Senate. I think that she is a, I mean, she's a, a famous political figure in Wales, certainly. Um, she's a very interesting political figure. And since she was in working in local government, She's been a really strong advocate for women's rights and gender equality, really at the forefront of pushing forward Wales's very progressive approach to advancing gender equality. From that point onwards, she's been a really squarely an advocate for equality. And I think Wales wouldn't be that progressive a place with, without her really having pushed for for those changes over the years. Two very, very great uh, figures there as well. To finish off, Rachel, some uh, quick fire questions. Oh, quick fire questions. These are difficult. I'm a reflector, Morgan. I need time to think of these things. Okay. 
Go, I'm ready. Uh, number one, tea or coffee? Oh, that's very difficult. Tea first thing, then coffee. Uh, number two, summer or winter? Oh, this is a really tricky one. I'm going to say summer, but I'm so fair that I have to spend most of my time in the shade anyway. Uh, and finally, number three, if you could go anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would you go? Another excellent, excellent question. I'm going to have to say either pop back to see my family in Norfolk or um, my partner and I will go over to Athens to go and see uh, his family in Greece. Two very good answers as well. Dr. Rachel Minto, thank you very much for joining us for the first uh, Cardiff University Politics Society Meet Your Lecturers podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Many thanks, Morgan, and all the best with the rest of the series. Thank you very much. You can join us again for our next episode, which will be with you next week. Thank you very much. (laughs) 